Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Your traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, General Motors surging as it announces a major restructuring plan. The stock is now up 15% in the last month as the rest of the market struggles. Doesn't even have even more room to run. Plus, a record-breaking weekend for retail, and it could be just the beginning of the holiday shopping surge. Is the retail rally officially back on? And it was a major rally on Wall Street. Stocks snapping back with the Dow surging more than 300 points. Consumer discretionary and financials leading the way at the S&P 500 emerging from correction territory while the Nasdaq jumped 2%. But we start with Apple falling in the after-hour session down nearly 2% as President Trump pounds the table on more Chinese tariffs. Let's go out to Eamon Javers in Washington for more on this developing story. Eamon. Yeah, Melissa, that's right. The president gave an interview to the Wall Street Journal that uh, was published earlier this afternoon. And in that interview, he talked about the possibility of adding additional tariffs to, uh, on Chinese products coming into the United States if he doesn't get a deal with the Chinese, which is what he said in the past. But he also specifically talked about imported iPhones and laptops coming in from China. And this is the quote uh, that he gave, saying that he, it depends on whether he's going to put uh, additional tariffs on. He says it depends on what the rate is. I mean, I can make a 10 percent and people could stand that very easily. So the president there uh, raising specifically the possibility of a 10% tariff on imported technology products. That obviously has some bearing on Apple uh, products and uh, possibly some of their competitors as well. I asked the president, as he was leaving the White House this afternoon, getting on board Marine One, I asked him about the possibility of a deal with Xi Jinping in Argentina later this week. Here's what the president told me. We have a good relationship. What, what do you think it is what the bottom line is? China has to treat us fairly. They haven't been. They have to treat us fairly. So the president there is saying that China has to treat the United States fairly, not saying specifically, and this is sort of the $64 trillion question here, not saying specifically what the United States would accept in terms of a counteroffer from the Chinese. So it's not clear what specifically is on the table here going into the G20. A lot of uh, loose ends. We expect to hear more from the White House about what they expect to accomplish uh, possibly tomorrow at, at this meeting, which is going to take place at the end of this week. But a whole lot riding now in that session where we do expect the president and Xi Jinping to meet face to face. Melissa? So, Eamon, the president says that he expects to move ahead with the boost on China tariffs to 25 percent. So those are the tariffs currently in place, currently at 10 percent, which are scheduled to move to 25 percent uh, come January 1st. Right. And then the Apple tariffs of potentially 10 percent, that's in the other round of tariffs, which would be basically a tax on the remaining goods imported from China, correct? Right. And, and the way the uh, quote reads is a little bit difficult, right, because he expects uh, the, the tariffs to go in place if... Uh, he doesn't get to a deal, right? So it's expressed conditionally, and that's always how the president has talked about this. So I don't think there's a lot here in this Wall Street Journal interview that's dramatically different 
uh, from what the president has said in the past. He has always said that he could move forward with additional tariffs, uh, so an additional $267 billion in tariffs that have not been put in place yet on the remainder of Chinese imports that are not already facing the prospect of tariffs. That's what he's said consistently, and I believe if you read this carefully, read these quotes carefully, that's what he's suggesting here. Uh, just continuing to lay out the prospect, though, mm -hmm. of these tariffs on the eve of this big summit is being read by some uh, as an additional effort to bring the Chinese to the table. All right. Eamon, thank you. Eamon Jabbers at the White House with the latest uh, on this developing story. And this is just the latest blow to the tech giant. Even before the headlines, the stock had barely managed to rally today, still sitting firmly in bear market territory. It's been actually underperforming the indices for a few sessions now. So are the stock's best days behind it? Time to ditch Apple. Has it become the new poster child, the question that you posited, yeah. of the trade wars at this point? No, I don't think... The best days, are, in terms of the stock, I don't think the best days are behind it at all. In terms of the headlines for the company, maybe the company's transitioning and we're not going to get these great iPhone numbers, these great iPad numbers. Maybe the company's moving on to becoming a different Apple. Maybe the fact that they're not talking about hardware anymore is, in fact, a good thing, and they're moving more towards a service company. So in that regard, maybe the headlines won't be as good. But in terms of the stock, I don't think the best days are behind it at all. But that being said, you know, I power pitched this stock when it was 195, and here we are at 171 and a half now. So I've been dead pitch, wrong. It's a fast, it's a fast pitch, <laughs> power pitch. And, and so now where's the next level? So if you look where it basically bottomed out in November, 163, give or take. The previous spring, uh, 17, 163 or so. So maybe that's where the bullseye is next. But in terms of the best days being behind it, I don't think so at all. Karen? Yeah, I mean, this rhetoric that's this last, you know, percent or so down, I think is just that. It's just positioning in front of the trade uh, negotiations, which I don't think we will have any kind of resolution by the end of this week. Maybe. My hope is that we have. We're going to continue to talk. We've made good progress. We hope to continue to make progress. And then if we do, then we won't put in the additional tariffs. As to Apple, I mean, uh, clearly I, I should have sold it 10, 12, 14 percent ago, but... Uh, looking at it here as if I'd never owned it and I came to it today, I still would like it. I still would buy it here. Could be the poster child for a while. That's okay. Yeah, I, I, again, poster child for the trade conflict, absolutely not. Uh, and Apple's problems right now are Apple's problems. It's a transition, if you want to call it, away from a hardware company to a software company. By the way, last quarter, that seemed pretty exciting. This past quarter, not so much, especially as they gave guidance that wasn't so great. Uh, yes, they told us that emerging markets were looking weaker. So um, some of that was, was certainly baked into this number. But Apple's peak to trough 27% move in about 35 sessions. By the way, very, very extreme. Sadly, I think is more uh, indicative of what's going on in the tech sector and, and a sell-off that's a, a broader market proxy. So uh, I don't think that if, if you suddenly want to attach these guys to trade, there's actually a lot more the stock could do. I don't think you're supposed to do that here, but that would be the case. Well, I think it's fair to say that this was going to be the last battle fought in this trade war um, with China. When you think about it, they make all those iPhones there. Foxconn, who's their major partner in assembly, they produce, you know, millions and millions of these a week and they send them back here. So, you know, it hurts China from the standpoint that they have to put a lot of these workers, um, you know, on hold. But they were already doing that. That's what the guidance told us yeah. about this. So it comes at a really bad time. I think it's really important to remember that 10% tariff on iPhone that's coming back into America is a tax on U.S. consumers at a time where we know the U.S. consumer is doing pretty well. We know two-thirds of our GDP comes from U.S. consumer 
consumption, right? Um, but I don't really know how it hurts the Chinese at any point. They've been able to mobilize millions of workers in these cities, in these Foxconn plants, but they don't really care a whole heck of a lot about those workers. Remember they used to jump out of the windows because they didn't like making the iPhones? A few I, years I don't remember that. But uh, you know, I guess the question is, is Apple any different than any other manufacturer who's got subcomponents that are being made in Asia? Certainly, certainly China, other yeah, parts of Asia. So let me tell you what the biggest difference is, is that they have all the profitability in the entire smartphone market. They have less than 50% of the global market share. And this is the bear case that's been going on for years and years as Android's been moving along on much lower priced phones in emerging markets where all the growth is because at some point the developed world got so massively saturated. So it's not saturated. a trade war stock? Well, no, but what I'm saying because, is... Because what you're saying is Apple's problems were already well underway because Android is the preferred operating system, the more affordable operating well, system I, in Asia. I think right now in the last month or two, it's the spark that lit the fuse. I think then we're we seeing split, that in a we lot We can split of, them up right now. Yeah, I was I'm waiting for the split screen. But I do think that you're more see. on the same page than yeah. not on the same yeah. page at this oh, okay. point on this yeah. debate, unfortunately. Right. So you can be in one giant box maybe together, but maybe <laughs> not in split boxes. But to get back to the 10% tariffs, you know, either the U.S. consumer pays for that in terms of how, what we pay for iPhones, or Apple pays for that, or the suppliers pay for it. The suppliers we've already seen have already undergone a lot of pain. So that would be the worst thing for all of the Apple suppliers, the chip companies, et cetera. If Apple pays for it, that means that they're, they're absorbing it in their margin. If My we pay for it, are we going to pay $10,200 for a new iPhone? Are we going to pay 1200 Maybe it gets, everybody takes a little bit of pain. I don't know. I think that... Apple will take some of the pain if this comes to pass, if it does. I think they will. I think that they're, I mean, Dan, you, you for a while said they're running up against the absolute ceiling of the price point for their customer. Yeah. Do you but, think that's the case? But, but I think the news like, last this, month. The higher ASPs, though, was, was a defining part of that, that yeah. last earnings number, no? Yeah, yeah. And it is. And I, and I got to tell you, but what's also defining about it is that they're going to start reporting or stop reporting units. They're also seeing a greater uptake on their iPhone upgrade program. So they're starting to think about this as more of an ARPU, an average revenue per user, we as they're layering on more services. So you're thinking about it as, okay, how much does it cost for me? A month to have my uh, Apple, uh, you know, Apple Pay, my music, my soon-to-be music or TV subscription, and then renting the hardware, and that's the way they're thinking. But are about we it. any different, Dan, right now with Apple in terms of that story than we were six months ago no. when suddenly that was actually Hardly a great any tailwind? At all. I mean, Hardly nothing has happened. If, if anything, it's a better story because arguably these no. guys are pushing into uh, value-added products, higher-margin no, products, they have because and, they've and they've got momentum. They've massively boosted their ASPs at a time that we know that the demand in the developed world has plateaued. If anything, it's actually... Wouldn't that be a negative event, though? In other words, you, you, you make it sound like they're boosting ASPs to counteract falling demand to actually to mitigate it in some way. I would argue that that would be one of the dumbest things that they could do. And in fact, well, the um, these guys the have thing. a market that's willing to pay an I higher ASP. With Apple mm -hmm. under pressure, are there any hopes of a major year-end rally going up in smoke? Let's ask the chart master. Carter Worth over at the Plaza to break it all down. Carter. Well, let's look at Apple first. I think Tim really nailed it. It's not about anything other than this is a money flow issue. All of these stocks ascended together, and they're all selling off together. We know Apple down in the aftermarket. So are many stocks that might be impacted by so-called trade wars. But let's just look at the chart itself and talk about Apple. I mean, Apple is down peak to trough. Um, 27%. Amazon's down 30. Uh, Netflix is down 40. Um, Facebook, 42. Uh, Google, 22. Fang, 25. Meaning it's all the same shape and trajectory. Great ascents and then important givebacks. I'm not sure there's anything specific or idiosyncratic about Apple. But one thing we do know is that it is a pretty extreme sell-off to a level of support. Now, support 
sort of starts here, if you will. And support is not a plywood board or a concrete floor, it's a mattress top. We you sink into support, we are well into support. I think it's a better buy uh, than a sell. I'm with you on that, Karen. Um, the market. So, uh, year-end rallies, you know, that's just numerology in many ways, to say something's gone up 40 out of 60 years. Unless there are 200 inputs or more, statistically you start to just get into randomness. Um, in terms of the S&P, one thing we know, it was something of a well-defined double top or bull trap. Let's put in some lines, but first, let's talk about the facts. Numerology or not, December is typically a good month, 1928 to present, Average performance 1.4, median performance 1.49. So let's, let's say it's that. Let's pretend it's double that. How about if it's triple that? Does that fix the market? Well, the issue is the market, um, even considering the precondition, not so good. So this is when the S&P is down going into December double digits. Now it changes the numbers. It's actually an average return in December of negative and a median that's unch. So we have a precondition of weakness that's unhappy. But in terms of getting back to the high, there's our double top. You could draw the lines that way. You could draw the lines this way. A break in trend. You could put it all together. You can call it whatever you want to call it. But what we do know is we'd have to climb back about 11% plus minus just to get to the high. So we go up one and a half, the average or median, three, five. The chances of making the high by the end of the year are basically uh, nothing to talk about. Mathematically, almost impossible. Can we climb back there eventually? Sure. But the bigger issue is, surely, that this is all the look of a topping formation. It's been going on for a long time. Uh, I think rallies like this, we've seen plenty of them, are opportunities to reduce exposure to equities. Carter, come on over. Stephanie will bring the chair in. Thanks, Stephanie. 35 seconds. Okay, I, I, I listen so that the, the chart maestro master knows that I'm paying attention. Um, can we go back to the apple chart? You said it's a better buy than sell here. When you were drawing the mattress, the top and then the bottom of the Good mattress, term. it looked like the line was going to the bottom of that yeah. line. Well, do we need to hold the cheap mattress? You shouldn't sink that far into it. But as you know, a kid bouncing on a bed, and at some point you find support. The point about support is it's not a, wow, this is it. You can sink into support. At some point you find support. I but think you're well into support. I would rather buy it here, then let's take the, the proof by contradiction. Fresh new shorts and Apple here? Eh, not so sure. But you're not, it doesn't take time to be convinced that it will hold that box spring sort of level well, and not, not slice through it. you're not just keep knifing through it. You can stabilize, not ultimately bounce well, and then undercut. But on a straight down shot like that, you do get some sort of tension to rebound. So oh, I hope your question involves memory foam, because I think it's <laughs> yeah. actually a great metaphor. Continue. Uh, thanks, Tim. Uh, it doesn't. Um, so back in 2012, Apple was a huge um, outperformer to the market. We had a bull market, and the stock sold off 45% peak to trough into 2013. Same thing, 15 to 16. It had a 33% peak to trough decline. Here we are now. It's a little less than 30. Less than 30. Um, you know, but this stock was up, you know, 50% from its 2018 lows at one point. So to me, you know, resting into your foam or whatever, 150 looks like that number. You could be wrong by 10% easily. Sure, sure. I guess the issue is this. When you just tick lower every session, uh, it's a dangerous game. That's why we call it catch the falling knife. It's dangerous. At some point, though, you do get a ricochet more often than not. 
take oil. Look, I, I sat on this very seat making the case to buy, again, went considerably lower. At some point, even if oil were to be cut in half, you get a counter trend move. I think Apple is setting up for that kind of thing. All right. Carter, thank you. Thanks, guys. Carter Braxtonworth of Cornerstone Macro. Brings it. Always. Uh, going back to President Trump's comments, you know, I, I wonder, you know, has he been saving apples? Like that one of the arrows in his quiver? Is the timing somewhat interesting ahead of this meeting? And does he feel that using Apple will be the defining moment or the, the, the last straw to get a deal done with the Chinese? So I actually look at this as somewhat positive for a potential deal. I have no idea, quite frankly, but that's the way I would look at it. With that said, I agree with Carter. You know, I still think in the S&P we have to trade down to that 25-30 level sooner rather than later. February lows. All right, coming up. Check out shares of General Motors surging today, now up 15% in the past month while the rest of the market has struggled. Could its major cost-cutting plan be a bad sign for auto stocks? We will explain. Plus, we're going hunting for yield. Despite bouncing back, energy stocks still under pressure. So are some of the biggest dividend payers in the sector a steal? The traders will weigh in. And later, Bitcoin seems to go bust. The cryptocurrency falling to nearly $3,000 over the weekend. And a top investor says a long, dark winter is coming. We'll explain why. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge, and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of General Motors. The stock having its best day in a month after announcing a major restructuring of the company. Let's get to Phil LeBeau in Chicago for all the details. Hi, Phil. And Melissa, for some time we've been talking about the fact that Americans are simply buying fewer sedans. They're just not selling the way they once did. And as a result, General Motors has looked at its plants that build those sedans and its workforce in North America and has made the decision it's going to cut that workforce by 15%. A chunk of those will be salaried workers, about 8,000 taking a buyout. The remainder are hourly workers, three at a final assembly plants, two in the U.S., one in Canada, and then you've got two at propulsion plants, one in Michigan, one in Maryland. If you take a look at shares of General Motors, you can see why the market liked this move for a couple of reasons. First of all, it's going to improve the company's free cash flow by $6 billion by the end of 2020. That's an improvement over the previous guidance. They're also going to be cutting their capital expenditures by $1.5 billion. What could be wrong with this plan? Ah, you haven't heard from the president, but we did this afternoon. Here's what he had to say. The fact that I am not happy with what you did. You know, the United States saved General Motors, and for her to take that company out of Ohio is not good. I think she's going to put something back in soon. That car is not selling. It's a cruise, Chevy Cruise. It's not selling. But hopefully she's going to come back and she's going to put something. But I told her I'm not happy about it. 
No, the president is not happy. And the she he's talking about, that's Mary Barra, who had a conversation over the weekend with him about her plan for cutting these jobs and these plants in North America. I'm showing you guys this because remember two and a half years ago when then CEO of Fiat Chrysler, Sergio Marchione, said, I'm throwing in the towel on sedans. Nobody's buying them. They're low profit margin. Get rid of them. And everybody said, smart move. Since then, Fiat Chrysler up 86.4%. General Motors up just 2.2%. Melissa, I find it ironic that for years covering this company, I would hear from people saying they're slow, they're plotting, they never make the moves when they need to to remain lean, and that's what caused them to go into bankruptcy. Here's Mary Barra trying to get ahead of the curve here in terms of saying nobody's buying these sedans. Let's cut our capacity And they're getting skewered in terms of from the White House all the way down to politicians in Michigan and Ohio, which is not surprising given the fact you're cutting about 15,000 jobs. In terms of the comment, though, from the president saying that they better open something else up in Ohio or something to that effect, are there any other uh, vehicles that could be reassigned to those plants to, uh, you know, appease the administration? Well, there are vehicles that could be reassigned. They're not going to do that because you'd have to retool those plants. And that's a lot of extra cost. That means maybe, what are you going to do, move something from Mexico up to Ohio? That would sound good to the president. But if you're Mary Barra and General Motors, you're looking at this saying, wait a second, the reason we have them down in Mexico is because it works out on the cost side of the equation. (laughs) So I'll be curious to see. The president says, oh, they're going to put something else in there. At this point, they have no plans to put anything in those plants. Yeah, should be an interesting conversation between Mary Barra and Larry Kudlow at some point. Thank you, Phil. Phil LeBeau in Chicago. So does GM have more room to run? Is this a bad sign for the auto industry at large, Tim? No, it's, it's a great sign. And if you think about how we've punished airlines over the years, because no one ever trusted these, these big, slothing, inefficient companies to actually do the right thing, what was most important about today's move is not that they cut a plant or two, was the sense of urgency uh, that GM seems to be you know, undertaking this. I think there's multiple levers to pull here. And again, I, I don't want to call it a turnaround story, because I don't think GM is broken. But I think from a market's perspective, they kind of have been. And, and therefore, a company now, we've gotten fresh numbers, we've gotten fresh outlook, we've heard a little bit more about the strategy. Uh, there's absolutely room for the stock to go higher. So at this point, um, if we've hit peak auto sales, is right. are, are the only catalysts, the only levers to pull at this point is levers. Are, are they is it cost cutting levers, levers, whatever you want to call it? But I mean, is that is that Leverage. what's going to be moving the stock at this point? I, I mean, I think it comes from a co. It's cost cutting. It's what what the what they can sell the cars for, mm-hmm. right? That's part of it. The demand from the consumer. I think Mary Barra though is a very different kind of executive. I mean, she is not an empire builder. She's trying to build the most profitable company she can. Getting out of Europe, for example a couple of years ago. I think that this is the, I'm surprised that, uh, actually, I think she probably was expecting pushback. I don't know if we're going to see something else beside this, whether the numbers that they threw out today actually include a fair bit of cushion for them to maybe give bigger buyouts, maybe to do something for the employees. It's not a terrible time to be looking for a job. Jobs as good as the GM jobs may be very hard to find, but I wouldn't be shocked if there's more to cut in there than they've let on, and maybe she'll have to give some of that back. Yeah, you got to give both of you guys credit. I mean this uh, sincerely. This summer, when the stock was making new 52-week lows, you guys were more committed to the story. And at that point, it was really a market situation. It might, might not have been as fundamental. But I would just say this. This is more about, to me, it's maybe not about peak autos. It's about the next 15 years in, in, in uh, the automobile business. You know, what did they do last year? They bought cruise automation. They made an investment in Lyft. Mm-hmm. I remember earlier this year, there was a couple Wall Street analysts who both upgraded this stock. They see autonomous driving as yes. a 
10, 20, 30 billion dollar business in 10 years for them. So to me, this is kind of clearing the decks. It's focused on the most profitable cars. Bullish it's thinking, GM well, what I'm saying is it, it's, it's, it, they're thinking about the future. I didn't know what to make of the stock when it was trading at 30 bucks this summer. Okay, um, so you, you are, but you, you can, can you say I am bullish the backdrop? Well, I'm GM saying is Karen was right this summer. Or I was wrong this summer. <laughs> Well, That's the flip side. I, was, exactly. I mean, you lose every day for guy, two months. Remember when Fonzie so couldn't say he was wrong? I was he was wrong. Yeah. 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 And then, then, of course, Potsy and, and Richie helped him out. Yeah. Right. I have no issue because it happens all the time. <laughs> I would be. I would be. Well, for, it's a $37.5 stock. It was a $37.5 stock four years ago. So it's basically been sideways peaks and troughs along the way. But I would be concerned. You know, this is an iconic U.S. company. President Trump will not let this go. There will be tape bombs coming if Mary Barrett doesn't yes. say anything forward, which By I would way, be concerned about you know, in terms Ohio of the stock. Too. I mean, that's a key state. state. Yeah. yeah. For more on the road ahead for General Motors, you can head on over to tradingnation.cnbc.com. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. <laughs> Those screams are coming from the crypto universe. Okay, maybe not. But hodlers are panicking as Bitcoin gets slammed. And a top investor says it could be about to get a lot worse. Plus, that's right. We're going yield hunting for energy stocks whose dividends are surging. The traders will tell you which ones are worth the chase. Much more fast money after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. The retail rally looks like it's back on track. The XRT retail ETF jumping 2% today as the holiday shopping season kicks into full gear with Black Friday and Cyber Monday both looking strong. Our Courtney Reagan joins us from a Walmart fulfillment center in California for more. Hey, Court. Hi, Melissa. Here on Cyber Monday, we are expected to see a record-breaking day for U.S. online sales. And that's after what's already been a very strong Black Friday weekend. Walmart here hopes it too will have a day for the record books. And we know investors in retail stocks will be paying very close attention to the final results of this first big shopping weekend of what's expected to be a very strong season. The preliminary results indicate that online sales were very strong, though in-store traffic was down slightly. Cyber Monday U.S. online sales are forecast to hit $7.8 billion, up more than 18% from last year, making it the highest grossing online sales day ever in the U.S., with peak shopping hours between 10 p.m. and 1 a.m. Eastern time. 
This Walmart Fulfillment Center is part of a large network that will ship millions of holiday items ordered over the weekend and through today's Cyber Monday. Thousands of associates work at this facility alone, which covers more than 1.2 million square feet, the equivalent of 21 football fields with 12 miles of conveyor belts moving merchandise through the facility and onto delivery trucks. Jeffrey says that the consumer is strong and trading up and that holiday results are tracking in line to better than expected thus far. When it comes to winners, MKM partners Roxanne Meyer picks Lululemon, Tapestry and Urban Outfitters, while KeyBank's Eddie Ruma likes Best Buy. Melissa? Back to you. All right, Courtney, thank you. Courtney Reagan in California for us. So strong holiday sales numbers coming in. Are they pointing to a year-end rally for retail stocks? What do you think, Karen? I do think so. I mean, there's a lot of things to like about the setup here. I mean, retail got three weeks, two, two, three weeks ago, got absolutely crushed. We also have a very long holiday season, right? So even with big Black Friday numbers and big Cyber Monday numbers, there's still a long time to go. And, the, you know, the consumer is employed. I love the U.S. consumer. They, you can always count on them. Gas prices are low. The weather's cold. I mean, a lot is going right. So I like the space. I probably would sell going into Christmas. Mm -hmm. They seem to have, you know, buy the rumor, sell the news kind of thing. And but they're off to a good start. I would hang on to them here. Yeah, I wish I knew how many days till Christmas. How many, Mel? Twenty-nine days till Christmas. Twenty-nine days until Christmas. So it is a very long uh, shopping season. Yeah, you got to get yourself yeah. one of those Canadian goose de- jackets. It's not Canada. Canadian goose. It's Canada it's goose. It's Canada goose. Okay? All right, so you know, I understand why you want, would want to say Canadian goose, yeah. but it's a Canada goose. It's like if you have an astigmatism. It's not astigmatism. Anyway. Get into the retail <laughs> trade guy. I'm glad yes, you asked, please. Mel. So there is an tr- interesting trade, and I, I somewhat agree with Karen. Nordstrom's, for example, a name we power pitched in the spring into the summer. We said in the earnings, it looks great. Stock went from basically 50 to $63. A couple weeks ago, we cautioned you folks, these stocks we have gotten ahead of themselves. Done. Get out. And here we are right back to 52. So I will tell you that in terms of valuation for Nordstrom's, which is reasonable, the quarter wasn't a complete disaster. I think the risk reward in JWN here at 52 is interesting. And I'll say this. Mm-hmm. I bet you over the next couple of weeks, you see some analyst upgrades in the name. When we saw the pullbacks in, say, a Nordstrom or a Macy's, I mean, the concern was at what cost were those sales. For Nordstrom, it was yes, the margins. rack business was doing better and they were investing uh, in fulfillment, et cetera, which is presumably to make the e-commerce experience better. For Macy's, e-commerce sales were great. Right. But, but the margins, it was margin, the cost, it was a cost of fulfilling the order. I mean, well, is that going to be right. the same for this holiday season where every single retailer under the sun says, Free delivery. We'll get it to you in two days. Well, I, I think the most important thing is the expectation going into this this holiday was very muted. Uh, it was terrible last year. So you had a big run. Karen brings up a good point. She's actually talking trader here. She's saying I'd kind of fade into Christmas, which is interesting because that was not the trade to make last year. In fact, that was just when retail went on this kind of re-rating. Hey, cyclically and secularly, they're not out of business. Um, I love Best Buy here. And again, that's the place where you get worried about their margins. But they're the last man standing. And despite the fact guys going to sit around that leather chair at Best Buy all Sunday afternoon and not buy anything. I think actually these guys are improving their margins. It was torch going into these numbers. And I think it's actually going to be a record quarter for Best Buy. What, are uh, you going to make some? No, was, yeah. I mean, because it's true. Comments. They have those great couches. It's better than going to Barnes & Noble. All right. Still ahead. It's the GE exodus, the stock touching its lowest level in nearly a decade. And it could be on the verge of another major crisis. We will explain. And from one nightmare to another, check out this crypto graveyard. Ooh. As the space Eerie. crashed over the weekend, is it time to lay the crypto trade to rest for good? 
Vinny Lingham, the so-called Oracle of Bitcoin, will be here to weigh in when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money Crypto in turmoil as Bitcoin sunk toward $3,000 over the holiday weekend, levels not seen since August 2017. Our Seema Modi joins us more from the crypto desk. Hey, Seema. Melissa, the selling of Bitcoin intensified over the weekend with the cryptocurrency breaking below $4,000, currently trading right around $3,700. With today's losses, nearly three quarters of Bitcoin's value has been erased this year. The price of Bitcoin has fallen so much that JP Morgan strategists say mining the cryptocurrency is becoming uneconomical for some. Data from blockchain.com shows the hash rate, which measures computing power used to mine Bitcoin, has fallen dramatically in the past couple of weeks. Morgan Creek Digital says Bitcoin has more room to fall, as does venture capitalist Fred Wilson of Union Square Ventures, who has invested in crypto and blockchain-related startups. Wilson wrote in a blog last night that the worst has yet to come. Technical analysts point to $3,000 as the next major support level. But the bulls say sharp drops in Bitcoin are common for the cryptocurrency. From June to November of 2011, Bitcoin went from $30 to $2, a 93% drop. And in December of 2013 to February of 2014, Bitcoin fell 85%. The question is if Bitcoin will rebound as it has in the past. Investors will be watching for headlines from the Consensus Invest Conference, which kicks off tomorrow in New York City, for guidance on where cryptocurrencies go from here. Executives from Coinbase, Goldman Sachs, Alliance, TD Ameritrade, among others, will be speaking. So we'll give you those headlines as they come in. Melissa, for now, back to you. All right, Seema, thank you. Seema Modi from our crypto desk. For more on the future of Bitcoin, he is known in the crypto universe as the Oracle of Bitcoin. Let's bring in Civic CEO and a shark on Shark Tank South Africa, Vinny Lingham. Vinny, great to see you again. Thanks, Melissa. Great to be here. Where do you think Bitcoin goes from here? I think it's going to be range-bound for a while, between 3 and 5K. Um, at least three to six months. I don't think we break through the support level of 3,000 just yet. Uh, I think there's a lot of buying uh, in the short term around that mark. But if, if we don't get out of the crypto sort of bear market cycle in, in the next three to six months, that 3,000 level could go. Okay. So, you know, Vinny, I've been tangentially immersed in this sort of Bitcoin Twitter universe, and, and it's a very rabid bunch. And, and so I'm wondering, Vinny, what are you late? I mean, are you considered a bear? Are you considered an enemy of the crypto community for saying that Bitcoin could be range-bound between three and 5,000? So I have a very checkered past with the crypto community, um, mainly because you know, I, in, in, I was got involved in crypto and Bitcoin in 2013. And I've always been, a, you know, for, for a long part of it, I, I was a bull. And then last year, I wrote a blog post in February, in, you know, warning of the risks of another bubble to crypto and to Bitcoin in particular, as we had just exited one in, from 2014. And I, 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 you know, I've always been very consistent about fundamentals need to lead the market, not speculation. Mm -hmm. But the community disagrees, and, and everyone's very happy with price movements of you know, uh, thousand to ten thousand to twenty thousand in a year, and then back down to three the next year. Where I think that doesn't make this an investment grade asset, and if you keep you know, speaking about institutional investors coming to the table and ETFs being approved, you can't have this sort of volatility in an asset class when you want big money to get involved. Well, I'm glad you brought that part of the equation up, but also on the other part of the equation in terms of, of building on, on the blockchain and, and using Bitcoin. I mean, does it get to a point where the price action is so bad that it halts the development 
of, of the Bitcoin platform and, and the things that are built on Bitcoin and, and blockchain? I don't think it halts it. I think it's, it definitely slows it down. Uh, the, the issue really is the narrative. The Bitcoin narrative is that this is a store of value. And so people buying in at 15,000, 20,000 believe that. And that's proven not to be true. The original narrative which I bought into was that this is a payment network that could compete with you know, Visa and MasterCard at scale. Is that true? But you'd have to set well, Bitcoin can't get there because the community is basically blocked and increasing the capacity from one megabyte upwards, so except for left? the use of. Well, um, there are lots of other cryptos out there that are trying to try tackle the payments problem. Uh, Bitcoin is being typecast as a store of value, uh, government censorship resistant type of money, which has low transaction throughput, except for, you know, layer two, as they call it. So, is there any reason right now? to be bullish on Bitcoin or to be positive on Bitcoin, to buy Bitcoin here? Because the two major reasons why people bought in the past, a means of transaction and a store of value, those seem to be out the window, at least for now. Yeah, I think in the short term, it's, it's definitely a market where you, you scared away the retail investors, you scared away the institutional money, uh, the diehard believers and hodlers will come in with, with whatever dry powder they have left, if they haven't already. And so it's kind of a risky scenario. Uh, for me, it's, it's, it's a bit too risky at its current point. Obviously, high risk, high reward. So if the market does turn, uh, this could be a great time to buy. But I, I think the risks right now outweigh the upside in the short term anyway. There'll be better opportunities later on. You may have to pay a bit more. But buying in above, uh, above the, you know, the key support level that got broken was 5,700. So buying in at that level or 6,000 in the future would be uh, you know, uh, obviously a higher price, but you'll be a bit more de-risked if Bitcoin can get back to that level uh, and make a run back to its previous highs. Vinny, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Vinny Lingham, the CEO of Civic. So, Tim, what do you do here? Well, first of all, Bitcoin was never a store of value. I, I don't think I really don't believe people were buying it for that. Second of all, Bitcoin is not crypto. So so, you know, you can't necessarily uh, challenge the existential reason for all of this just because Bitcoin's not doing well. Um, we had a dinner, I don't know, a week ago with the Bitcoin, the, the, uh, the crypto king, I believe, our buddy yeah. Bart from Susquehanna. But the, the, his argument was, and anyone's argument could be, at $750 two years ago to $3,600 now, um, if you took out the spike and all this, this dynamic here, you'd be pretty happy with the direction of where this is all going. So if you smoothed out the return profile of this, would people feel differently now? And that's a big question. I know you can't do that, but it, nonetheless, it has rallied. All right. Still ahead. Looking for a bargain. Well, you're in luck because there's one beaten uh, down group of stocks that could be a major source of income. The traders will do a little yield hunting. Plus, GE's tracking for its worst month in nearly a decade, and it could be about to get even worse for the embattled industrial giant. We will explain when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Oil and energy stocks bouncing back today, but every stock in the sector is still sitting either in either a correction or a bear market, which has some investors hunting for bargains. Let's get to Bob Bassani at the New York Stock Exchange for more. Hey, Bob. Hello, Melissa. You know, it's been downright horrific for energy stocks recently, but particularly oil service stocks, you know, your Halliburton's and Schlumberger, they've collectively nearly 40% off their 52-week highs. It's been horrifying. Exploration production companies like EOG and Apache, they're not much better. They're collectively 27% off of their 52-week highs. Natural gas producers, they're not much better. Oil refiners, you know, Holly, Marathon Oil, they're 
only 20% off their highs as a group. That's a little better, but still pretty awful. So there's a, a little bit of a sunny side to this story. So as the prices have dropped, the dividend yields have risen dramatically in some cases. There's 11 energy companies currently yielding more than the 3.06% yield on the 10-year Treasury. That includes Oniok, William Companies, Kinder Morgan, American Payne, and, and even big companies like Occidental and Exxon and Schlumberger, Chevron and Valero, among others, all above 4%. The issue, of course, is... Are these high dividends safe or not? With rates likely rising in 2019, it's going to be more difficult for companies to go out and borrow money to pay a dividend. There's going to be a lot more pressure to fund it strictly from cash flow. And with oil prices down, that could be tougher for companies like ExxonMobil, for example, which is not only struggling with lower prices, they've also seen lower production in the last few years as well though production has grown recently just in the last quarter or so. Exxon's 4% dividend is probably safer than most, though. It's raised its dividend annually 36 consecutive times. That's got to be some kind of record. Back to you, Melissa. All right, Bob, thanks. Bob Pisani at the New York Stock Exchange. So we thought it'd be the perfect time to go yield hunting with our traders. Are these surging dividend stocks a buy, or should you let them fly away? Now, I know you have a question out there. How does this work? Here's how it works. I'll give you a name like Exxon yielding 4.3%. If you're buying that name, you'll see that target, as in this name is worth the hunt. If you'd rather let this go away, let it fly away, you'll see this duck in red taking off. No thank you, duck. All right, got it, everyone? Good. So again, we will start. We're going to kill the duck with a green. Let it no. If you want the stock, you'll see the target. Green means buy. If you get the duck and fly, let it fly away. Red means okay. Guys, we're going to give you the exact example that we use. Exxon Mobil. The duck thing. The so it's a. So do do you want to? Buy this? Do you want to hunt this? Hunter fly away, guys. Okay, so I thank you for the clarification. Help. I'm going to let the duck fly on this one. So fly, let it go. Fly, you don't bird, want it. Fly. Okay, so very good. There's the duck. I'll tell you, an evaluation isn't ridiculous. 14 times forward earnings. Last quarter wasn't a disaster. But last quarter, obviously, didn't take into account what's happened over the last few weeks. So I think there's a very good chance, despite its rally today, that ExxonMobil symbol XOM is going to retest the levels you saw in March. And that comes in at 72 and a half. That's why the duck is See, flying. I tell you what, I would actually hunt this bird. And, and for the purposes of this game, I, it's not that I love Exxon as a stock. But again, it's not even about the dividend. I think Exxon has been very defensive here because of their balance sheet. They also have some very high margin long-term plays that I think give the company for the first time some, some interesting dynamic so i'm hunting that bird guy targeting it no i'm hunting it he, he likes oh. it that's the bottom line okay. next okay. up dan's turn valero four percent deny it and i'll tell you why <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so that means the deal. don't deny so, the bird i think there's a really interesting thing that's gone on over the last few weeks <laughs> when oil has come off the way it has i think expectations for earnings in 2019 for the entire space are way too high so i think we're going to see them start to come down um and when the stocks come down those dividends are going to go up, but I'm still denying it because I don't think a 4% dividend covers the potential risk in a lot of these names, despite them being cheap. Stock's down from 125 to 75 bucks. You don't think that's in the price? Look, the refiner, I'm going to hunt this bird again because, look, the refiners were some of the best places to play and be defensive when oil prices caved four years ago. We're going to have to get him one of those retriever dogs. <laughs> No, I mean, just say something about Dan Nathan, because he's very consistent. Because a few weeks ago, if you recall, when Valero, symbol VLO, was trading 78 and a half, 79, I went to the the, uh, smart board and power pitched Valero. And Dan 
was one of the few guys that said, no, you're dreaming on this one. I think it's going lower. So excellent job by uh, Thank, risk guy. reversal. Thank Next you, stock, Chevron, 3.9%. Tim, what do you do with this? Again, I'm going to hunt the bird. And I'll just put it this way. Chevron <laughs> is the most efficient of the, of the big integrated names. I actually think the free cash flow there is extraordinary. Free cash flow multiples relative to their history are some of the best you've seen. Hunt. What about relative to Exxon? They're better. They're better. Is this the best one out of the three you've hunted so far? It is to me. And again, folks, if you guys are killing this bird right now when oil prices are down 30%, I realize that we saw worse yeah, four years Tim, ago. It's a different the game here. The, the question was, are we yield Are you hunting? talking about not playing the game? Are these right? stocks because yeah. you're trying to like Split try to get that 4% yield? And, you know, I mean, it's, a, it's kind of a different game you're playing, buddy. I, what, so what game should I be playing? So just buy the XLE. Me, like the stock Tim wants here. to buy the XLE. Move on. Okay, the dividends are you. very much Karen's intact in all these names. I think they're actually kind of interesting at these levels. It is Karen's turn. Phillips 66. Three and a half percent. Yeah. Okay. So to Dan's point, I kind of, I don't, the, the, the hunt, the yield hunt makes no sense to me whatsoever, right? It's the tail wagging the dog or the feather wagging the bird or whatever you want to say. <laughs> Doesn't make sense to me to have that be the underlying thesis. If you put a dollar into Phillips 66 or to the, the uh, dear end commodity future, you would have the exact same amount in either one over the last six months. So if that's the bet you want to make. I think the game is stupid. I think I Karen do. is really, yeah. she's not happy with I'm the game. I'm not happy with the game, <laughs> but for a lot of reasons. But that, but anyway, I so I wouldn't be long. I, I don't want to make that energy bet with all the other tail wagging the dog things that go aside. <laughs> so Redbird shot denied. the game. Quickly, too. I just would like to interject something. <laughs> Quickly. So PSX <laughs> has traded down to its March low, okay. and it's bouncing. So I actually, I would be, hunt- be hunting. I believe okay. so. Be Exxon Mobil hasn't done that yet, which is why I was allowing Slap the bird. Slap a target on that yeah, bird. There you go. Oh, they're on Guy. Good, close enough. Coming Get out up. of the crosshairs. More trouble at G as the stock hits fresh multi-year lows. Could it be flashing a warning sign for the broader market? We'll explain. And if you can't get enough of GE, tune into Mad Money tonight. There's Jim on the Kramer cam, and he is talking about what the industrial giant needs to do to turn itself around. That is at the top of the hour. We are live at the NASDAQ in Times Square. More Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got some breaking news on United Technologies. Let's get to Eric Chemi for more in the newsroom. Eric. Melissa, the company United Technologies saying United Technologies saying that it will announce its intention to separate into three companies. According to a report, they would separate into buildings, Otis, and aerospace. The stock right now, after hours, up about 2%, 2.5%, like you can see there. Remember, the stock that has been pretty much range-bound for the last 12 months as they've been trying to figure out those strategic options. So back to you, Melissa. Okay, thank you very much, uh, Eric Chemi. And of course, this after um, the completed acquisition or close to completion of Rockwell Collins, it just got conditional approval over in China, which I think was the last step towards full approval here. So, Guy, where do we go here with UTEX? Well, I mean, it's obviously bouncing, but I think it's still range-bound. I don't see any compelling reason, given this valuation, to go blowing into these stocks, especially when the backdrop of a Fed that's continued to raise rates and President Trump Trump and this China situation. So I would fade this rally. Yeah, I, I, you know, if you look at the entire sector, and I'd lump in other defense names and just say that, you know, after being the darlings for a year and a half, guy was on those trades for a long time. I, you know, people are starting to figure out that the multiples do matter at some point, and there are headwinds. All right, let's stick with the industrials. The group jumping about a percent today, and one trader made a bullish bet the rally will pick up steam. So, Dan, what'd you see? Yeah, really short date in the XLI. That's the ETF that tracks the industrial sector. Uh, UTX is a 4.5%. Remember that call volume is seven times that of 
puts. There was one trade, bullish trade, short dated, December 7th weekly expiration. A trader uh, bought 20,000 of the 72.74 call spreads, paying 43 cents for that. That breaks even at 72.43, up about 2.8% from the stock price. You could make up to $1.57. That's about $3.14 million if the stock or the ETF is 74 or higher on December 7th close. All right. For more options action, we're back this oh, Friday, 5.30 p.m. Yeah. Eastern time for a brand new show. Up next, Final Trades. Time for the Final Trade, Tim. Yeah, again, despite Guy not buying and sitting on the leather couch, best buy for this holiday season, I'm going there. Karen. Yes, I'm sticking with the retail space as well. I like Target right here. Overdone on that sell-off from the Danny. Yeah, we were talking about MAGA before. Well, we just always Actually, do. you were talking <laughs> about MAGA. MAGA is really outperforming here. I think it makes a new high, probably. Wow. I think Tenant Healthcare bottom THC. And to put the couches in the Best Buy for exactly those reasons to hang out. Wow, Thank you. taking this little personal. That does it for us. Thanks for watching. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Mad Money starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.